0: well hello everyone welcome we're finally back and with me are podcasters from around the world i have hartmut schumacher from go your own path germany i have steve awaken mind from asia and Dr Jane Marquis empowered from Canada and I have Dr Carl Moore made in nature podcast from Ireland and we are so happy and excited to to have Dr Larry Palevsky back okay so thank you so much Dr Palevsky
1: well thank you it's a pleasure to be here and I look forward to our conversation today
0: <laughs> and uh, so most of you you know that Dr. Palevsky has been speaking up uh, a lot, not just last year, but for decades already, trying protecting the children. And of course, when he protects the children, the entire family is protected as well. So he has been a, a holistic uh, doctor for as a pediatrician and his credibility and his background of education is it cannot be underestimated it also including as a diplomat of the american board of integrative holistic medicine but what's most impressive with him is what he learned from school or what he didn't learn, he never stopped studying, he never stopped seeking the truth. I guess that's what sets him apart. And I'm just wishing that all of those doctors, current doctors, will will not not, you know, not settle down for what just the pharmaceutical company or other authorities, they call it authorities, will tell us as a practitioner, because even for nurses, if we just continue to be open and receive information, then we could start to make a real difference. And that's Dr. Larry Palevsky. And but what I wanted to start also with Dr. Palewski is on a very light note, for those of you who don't know, he is also a performing artist, oh. right? <laughs> so, there was. I found an article, and in 2014, he had, and he was the lead artist for Fiddler on the Roof, and it was. He does a good, really review, and so tell us. Let's start with that because we, we, we're fine. starting with a doom and gloom.
1: Okay. So thank you for that introduction. Um, when I was a child. Uh, I gravitated towards the stage, uh, acting and singing. And when I went to a sleepaway camp as a child for 11 summers, every Saturday night, we put on major productions from Broadway. Sound of Music, Damn Yankees, um, Guys and Dolls, Hello, Dolly, uh, Sound, um, Good, You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and uh, Fiddler on the Roof, and I had the pleasure and the privilege of being one of the leads in almost every one of those shows, when I when I, when uh, I was in camp. And then in high school, I was in uh, the plays. We did *Cheaper by the Dozen* by Garson Kanan, We did uh, *Born Yesterday*, um, which no, I think it *Cheaper by the* uh, Garson Kanan did uh, *Born Yesterday*, and uh, we did a sing performance. And then we did Mar- uh, we did uh, *Little Abner*. And I was marrying Sam in my senior high school performance. And my high school uh, drama teacher was convinced that I was going to go into drama. Uh, And when I came back from freshman year of college and I told her that I was not going to pursue a career in drama or theater, she shook her head like this and went, what a pity. (laughs) And I'll never forget it. I mean, that was like 1980 when she did that. And uh, for many years, I didn't really perform other than teaching. And then uh, in 2014, when I uh, moved out to an area where there was community theater, um, the night I decided that I was going to do community theater, the night I decided I was going to move, I had this awakening that I was going to do Fiddler on the Roof. Mm -hmm. And I was going to be Tevye. And now I played that part when I was 18, but it's different when you're 53 than when you're 18. And so in 2014, I remember it was February 11th, 2014, I decided I was gonna move to an area where there was community theater. And I stayed up till four in the morning, just couldn't sleep because I was anticipating being able to do Tevye in Fiddler on the Roof. So I moved April 1st, uh, that May, I was searching around for community theaters, in the area where I lived. And uh, I saw that there was one community theater that had just performed Les Mis and I missed it. I wanted to go see it. And I kept looking, what's your next uh, production? What's your next production? And a week later, I opened up their website and their their next production was Fiddler on the Roof. And I just took this, oh my God, breath. (laughs) And so that summer uh, I did singing lessons that I hadn't done in many, many years. I grew, started to grow a beard because someone said I was too young to play Tevye. And that September of 2014, I tried out and I got the part. (laughs) And we did six shows in November of 2014 with the Northport Community Theater Group. And I had an amazing blast. Uh, We sold out the show for all six performances. People came back to see it. It was comical. It was emotional. It was strong. It was powerful. Um, I felt like I was downloading millennia of of uh, history of people who lived in shtetls and who dealt with the issues that you deal with in the show. It's a very powerful show. And then uh, a couple of years later, I played the cowardly lion in uh, in uh, the Wizard of Oz, and that was a blast. I mean. Could, it was just a lot of fun. And I did a play reading with them. I played uh, Chris Kringle in, um, oh, what's the name of the show? Uh, on for 30 Miracle on 34th Street. So I went from Tevia in uh, Fiddler on the Roof to Chris Kringle in uh, Miracle on 34th Street and then did um, uh, The Cowardly Lion. Uh, I love to sing. Uh, I was blessed with perfect pitch. So when I hear it, I love it. I don't always sing on perfect pitch because I'm still practicing, but uh, the theater is my love. Um, I wish I could do more of it nowadays. There's not a lot you can do with a lot of these things that we have uh, dreams about, but I never did it as a career, but I certainly have the joy and the privilege of being able to try out for it uh, when I'm not in the office and I'm not traveling. So. Uh, yeah you got me I love <laughs> the theater. I love it the
0: and and that's why the way you exude your aura your spirit it just shows that you have there's so much more than to what we see and i bet as soon as this pandemic is over and hopefully soon there'll be more production so cuz i can't wait i will definitely go to new york to see you Okay, and all of you are invited Mm -hmm. to see him. It's gonna happen sooner or later. And, and, And Dr. Balevsky, in this article, it says here, Alan Watt said, the only way to make sense of change is to plunge into it, move with it and join the dance. So taking that statement, how do we dance? How do we move in this tyrannical situation? Because I think if we can remember that life is a dance, then I think we could apply for that. I wanna ask you, how have you been dancing with all the labels, with all the defamation and with all the um, character uh, assassination that's been said about you and all the rest of the growing, increasing frontline doctors?
1: Well, first of all, I don't know what's being said about me because I don't read it. Um, I don't listen to it. And quite frankly, I don't care. Uh, And the reason I don't care is because they don't know who I am. They have no idea who I am. They're not interested in knowing who I am. And they're not interested in listening or dialoguing with me. So they're not interested in the content of what I'm saying. And essentially, those people who are writing those things are, in my eyes, cowards because they have no cojones. They have no balls to actually approach me and say, you know what? You're saying things that are different from what other people are saying. We should really explore why you would say those things because we've not heard them before. And we don't know if there's any truth to them. And I've heard other people saying them, and maybe we should have a public discussion about it. But instead, they have no balls, they have no cojones, they have no courage to actually say, let's, let's talk about this. And so they, they have nothing. And because the information that they have is empty and false and full of myths and lots of lies, they instead need to character assassinate me, I guess, because you're telling me they're doing it. Um, I I don't really know. They have no courage. They're, They're actually cowards. And so I never, ever, ever, ever answer anything they say about me. I never respond to one word they say. I will not in any way engage them because they're not interested in getting to know me. They're not interested in getting to uh, be curious about what it is that I have to say. They're not interested in the content. They are completely stuck in certainty and in dogma of what they know. And not only are they stuck in the certainty and the dogma of what they know, but they want to have power over those who don't suck up to them. And to me, there's nothing there. They really have nothing. Uh, If they came to me on an even level, if they wanted to actually develop a relationship with me and actually be open and willing to discuss point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint, where not only we could hear each other, but the public could hear each other, then I might be interested. But since they're not interested, they're only looking to be powerful over me and over people like me. And that should ring an alarm for just about anyone in the world who's breathing. And that is that if you're actually willing to take someone out personally, professionally, or even in their life because they disagree with you or because they might be saying something that you don't know or that is opposite to what you're saying or pushes your buttons, then there's a problem. And so. Grace, I have no idea what they're saying. Uh, They can say whatever they want. They can call me whatever they want. They're cowards. They're sitting behind keyboards and going at it. And, you know, they, they have no balls to actually come and let it be public and let the public hear the point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint. And until that happens, they got nothing.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Pawlewski. And my next question, before I hand it to um, Jane, would be, um, there, at one point you, you used the word enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And I like the way you, ex- you really narrowed it down of what is enough is enough. So for the public, can we just please share that enough is enough?
1: In, in history, if you look at populations around the world, they don't act until something is personally and maybe professionally affecting them directly. So most of the time people live by the expression NIMBY, not in my backyard. And so we have watched decades in the United States and around the world of corruption, lies, stealing, murder, and um, uh, tyranny. We have watched food industries tell us that these foods are best for us to eat. And even though we have found that they're poisonous or harmful, we continue to buy it anyway. We have watched medical industries sell us drugs that they knew were harmful, that they knew killed us. And even though they paid millions, if not billions, if not trillions of dollars in fines over decades, We still went back to those companies and said, please give us more. We've watched car companies and other manufacturers of products try to skirt around and save money and not provide us with safe products. And we've watched them purposely not fix what they knew was a problem because they knew that it was cheaper for them to be fine than to actually do a recall on the product and fix it themselves. And they got fined and we kept saying, please give us more. We've watched government officials, corrupt after corrupt after corrupt incidences. And we, as a population have said, we gotta vote them out. And then we've put others in and we've watched the same thing happen. And we've said, take them out. And then we put new people in and we said, wow, the same thing is happening. We need new people. And now we're realizing that it's not the new people that we need. It's the new system that we need. Because the system is built on special interests and big money and big corporation. And we keep saying as a population, please do this to us some more. And we've watched uh, we watch companies. Uh, put things in the air that made us sick, put things in the water that made us sick, put lead in the water and make children sick. We've watched pharmaceutical industry and, and manufacturing industries put off wastes into the water and the soil and into the air and we've fined them and then we've said to them, oh, give us more of your product. We've watched our rights be taken away. We've watched women be told that they can't give birth naturally. We've worked, we've watched practitioners who use natural interventions to support the body and its health. And we've watched the governments and the corporations say, no, we're going to control that. And we've said, okay, well we'll just allow you to do that. And so We've watched vaccine manufacturers get raked over the coals financially in the courts before 1986 because they were guilty of providing a product that maimed, harmed, and killed. And we watched the government of our country in 1986 essentially remove most liability from them and gave them most immunity to liability. And we said... Please give us more of your vaccines. And somehow we thought in all of these situations that after all the corruption and after all the special interests and after all the fines and maiming and killing, that they would somehow find their way to the truth and do the right thing. And no, that never really happened. And so here we are in 2020, 2021 at the culmination of all this corruption across the board, in government, in medicine, in manufacturing, in industry, in farming and agriculture, in uh, ecological and environmental safety, and we are at, and, got, and we're at the pinnacle, where we're actually realizing, okay, enough is enough, right? We we just cannot allow ourselves. To be uh, censored, quieted, restricted, and have power over us to the point where we have no choice, we have no options, we have no rights, and uh, we are being coerced and forced to do things that are against our God given rights. And so, enough is enough, it's enough already. And if people aren't getting fed up about it, then we have to realize that the mind control that these companies have been doing for decades, which is in their literature, is stopping people from waking up. But for those of us who are waking up, enough is enough. And now, today, Saturday, July 24th, 2021, there are protests happening all over the world, especially in Italy and in France to stop this tyranny, to stop this coercive uh, attempt to restrict human beings from living their God-given rights. We're not asking for power. We're not asking to be powerful over. We're just asking to have our regular inalienable rights to live our lives and be left alone to the pursuit of liberty, happiness, justice, and That's all we're asking. And so we have allowed this to happen, Grace, as a population over decades. And now we take responsibility for it. We hold ourselves accountable for it. And we begin the healing and the attempts to take back our rights that have been taken away.
0: Well, I'm glad I'm with you with that. And so a lot of people are really waking up. So the the mantra would have now would be perfect. Enough is enough, enough is enough, enough is enough. I think if we say that many times, even in our own quiet time, it will send that frequency to those who are really creating these nefarious acts. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, I I wanna say one more thing, Grace, if you don't mind. Remember, the biggest threat to the tyranny is awakeness, woke people and people joining together. They know, they know that if they are found out, it's the end of it. They know if people wake up, it's the end of it. The reason for the masks and the isolation and the lockdowns and the social distancing has nothing to do with any transmission of a virus. It has to do with keeping people from congregating, uniting, amassing, getting together, and waking up. Mm. The reason for the protests in London, in Paris, in other cities in Italy, in Australia, and in certain cities in the United States is to get people empowered and to show the powers that be that we know what you're doing and enough is enough.
0: Enough is enough and we're not going away, right? So I'll pass it on to Jane. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much. I agree with everything that you said. And um, we really need to educate ourselves and create discernment and look at all viewpoints and all aspects before we make up our mind. We can't just trust safe and effective and that's where I wanted to start. I wondered if you could give us a review on your, you know, your opinion on past vaccinations, but then how this one is so different. And I I don't honestly know how they can call it safe and effective when it's experimental. And I've personally seen more damage from this than I have from COVID. I heard, I heard no cases of COVID. I've seen heart attacks in late thirties, Kidney damage, blindness, and you know, it's uh, it's it's serious. And Correct. yet, we hear nothing about it.
3: Correct.
1: Thank you, Dr. Jane. Um, number one, the COVID injection is not a vaccine. Number two, the COVID injection is not a vaccine. And number three, the COVID injection is not a vaccine. And if I kept going to a, a trillion. I would say, at every step of the way, the COVID injection is not a vaccine. There are three mantras that are passed along as dogma in modern day culture. This is part of the system that's dying, which is why the tyranny is so great. Because the knowledge about these three mantras is gaining speed and it's gaining momentum. They're all lies and they're all untruths. Number one, mantra number one, vaccines are safe. Mantra number two, vaccine injury is rare. And vaccine and number three, unvaccinated children are the harborers of germs that they are the only ones carrying and holding to spread to others to cause disease. Because somehow those who are vaccinated no longer carry the germ against which they were vaccinated. All three statements are false. They are scientifically false. They are a higher power false. There is no truth in any of them. And the powers that be will never ever talk in public about either one of those statements because they, as I say in slang, they ain't got nothing because if you look at the materials that are in any of the childhood and adult vaccines, and I'm not counting COVID because it's not a vaccine, you will know that not one ingredient has ever been tested for safety to inject into humans alone as one chemical or in combination. There is no scientific evidence to understand What happens to the injection material once it goes into the body? When we have one in in five children in the United States with neurodevelopmental disabilities, and you look at countries like England and Ireland, where the rates of autism are skyrocketing, and you see autism in this country, one in 15 in certain cities in the country, one in 35 in certain cities something is happening to the brains of our children. And if you ask the question, do vaccine ingredients get into the brains of our children? You will find that the question is not allowed to be asked. And the answers to those questions are nowhere in the vaccine manufacturers, scientific literature, the medical organizations, scientific literature, or any of the doctor's scientific literature. But yet, if we look at the independent literature, we know for sure that the chemicals that are in injections get into the brain and cause damage. We know it, but because number two, vaccine injury is rare, is a mantra and vaccines are safe, mantra number one. We turn a blind's eye. And we know that there are millions of parents around the world who have gone into the doctor's office, trusted that their pediatricians or family docs would say, don't worry, this is all safe for you. And the parents would say, oh, I'm not sure and the doctor would say, don't worry. You can trust me. I know be- I know better. And the parents would watch their kids get the shot. And within minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, they'd watch a neurological deterioration of their children. Not tens of them, not dozens of them, not hundreds of them, not thousands of them, not tens of thousands of them, not even hundreds of thousands of them but millions of them and every single doctor will say, it's not related to the shot because of the first two mantras, vaccines are safe, vaccine injury is rare. And so the parents who really trusted had an experience that changed their lives forever. And they had to realize deep down inside that they trusted in authority, that they didn't do their homework, that they were responsible for putting their children at risk, that they hurt themselves, they hurt their children, and the level of anger and fury that arose from those parents was second to none. And then they went about doing what they needed to do to get justice for their children. Only because they were willing to say, oh, my God, what did I do? What did I allow to be done? And why didn't they know? And then they went on to have more children. And they watched their child or children who got injured continue to be sick and damaged. And then they went and didn't give the injections to their younger children. And they watched those children be healthy, strong, rarely sick, and have no chronic illnesses. And then they watched the doctors around them say, coincidence, 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 coincidence. And so we have watched an authority basically dictate our experience as incorrect. And so the example that I give, and I may have said this on our past podcast, we are at a time when a hundred people go into the emergency room, all with an injury to the fifth bone in their hand. And the x-ray shows that they all fractured their hand. And the doctors all say, how did you break your hand? And all 100 people say, I punched the wall in anger. And all 100 doctors say, I'm sorry, that's not how you broke your hand. It must have been from something else. And that's where we are. We are at a place of complete wipeout of people's intuition and people's experience. And so the third mantra, unvaccinated children or unvaccinated people are responsible for harboring the germ to spread disease around. As if getting vaccinated makes the germ suddenly no longer carrying in your body. Has no basis in science. It's all based in theory. And in fact, no one has ever studied the fact of what happens to the germ in the body of those who are given an injection, so-called the vaccine. And do they still carry it? And does it mutate? And does it become something else? Do other organisms mutate alongside them? Does the organism actually create a chronic illness now that we're injecting some or part of it into the body? None of those questions is asked, not one. But the fact of the matter is that based on all three mantras, we are watching the destruction of the human being. And so when we get to this COVID injection, which is not a vaccine because SARS-CoV-2 virus is not the cause of the disease state we know of as COVID-19. We watch people who hear about this vaccine completely trust in the authority the same way those parents did when they watched their children get injured. And what's most striking to me is that there are parents whose children were injured by the vaccines who still went ahead and got the COVID injection anyway, And so we learn only through experience of others, and only through our own experiences, if we learn at all. Because the number of injuries, deaths, side effects that are happening in this with this injection are greater than the actual harms injuries, and deaths from whatever caused the COVID-19 outbreak in the first place. Especially if you look at the data in the United States, that there are more people under 30 who have died after getting the injection than those who suffered and died from the true COVID illness. Because we'll never know who died truly from the COVID illness, because hospitals nursing homes, hospice care, were all strong-armed into putting COVID-19 down as the cause of death, even for people who were dying of terminal diseases, terminal cancer, heart attacks, strokes, motorcycle accidents, automobile accidents, falls, traumas, etc. And so, If somebody wants to call me a conspiracy theorist or a quack, what's happening inside their system, Dr. Jane, is that they can't fathom that what I'm saying could possibly be true because they're hooked into a belief system that's based on a devotion and a worship of the almighty authority. And any disruption of that worship will cause great distress, And so they have to fight. They have to attack me. They have to attack others. Because any level of uncertainty in what they think they know, any level of unknown, any level of curiosity, gone. Because their world will crack, their world will break. And even in families where people died after the shot, You still had family members going to get the shot. So we're on a very interesting journey right now. We're on a very interesting path of human existence and human consciousness. And if we have uncertainty and unknown and curiosity in our systems, we will find a way to navigate through this as, a, as an individual and as a doctor, I've gone through many emotional stages of watching the carnage, the lies, the tyranny, the willingness to roll up their sleeve and get the shot. I've started with anger, I've started with fury, I've started with you know disgust, I've been critical, I've been disbelief, I've been sad, I've been reserved, I've been withdrawn. I've been uh, desperate. I've been uh, giving up. But ultimately, through all those emotions, you know, because it's a process, it's a journey, it's a path of, of human consciousness growth, um, we're here to hopefully heal the people who have subjected themselves to the shot and got injured, the people who subjected their family members to the shot and got injured, and when they realized that the cancer rates are already going up in those who gotten the shots, the heart attack rates, the myocarditis rates, the stroke rates, the infertility rates, the miscarriage rates, the blood clotting rates, the death rates are all going up in the populations who are getting the shot we have a lot of healing that we need to do. And so we need to pray for those who have gotten the shot and for those of us who have gotten sick, having been in close proximity to those who have gotten the shot because that is a real entity too. People are getting the desperate, desperate, severe symptoms of COVID, being exposed to those who've gotten the shot, strokes, death, miscarriages, heart attacks, blood clotting, infertility, changes in menstruation, all happening just in those exposed in close proximity to those who've gotten the shot. And so I don't rely on an outside authority to tell me what's true. And so for those people who are listening, I ask you if you can, to not rely on an outside authority to tell you what's true, but to use your intuition. Does it really feel right that something so important that would save our lives and get us back to life should be something that we're bribed to take and almost held at gunpoint to take? Does that feel right to you? That getting a donut or a free membership to something is actually smart and conscious thing to do for something that if it were that good, you would just go ahead and do it. So people who are having concerns are being wiped out. People who are conscious of what this could be are being wiped out. They're being fired. They're being ostracized. They're being uh, left out. And that coercion is forcing people to do things against their will just for the sake of being part of a society that really could give two you-know-whats about their health because this injection is not safe, was never tested for safety, has technology that's never been used in vaccines before, and has no track record to protect us against infectious disease. There's no study to understand what happens to this technology once it's used and whether it turns on or turns off, and what the short and or long-term effects are. There are chemicals in the injection that have also never been used in injections before, have no safety profile for injection, but have very damning safety profiles for what they do do if exposed by humans. And what you have is people who hear this and go, la, 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 la. They can't hear it. And they can't hear it because they're in deep idol worship of their authorities. Because hashtag, they would never do anything to harm us. There's such worship and such idolization of the authority that to, to literally go in and say, is, he, is there any truth to what this guy is saying? Would crack their whole structure open. And the house of cards would fall and you think we'd have riots and protests in one city no 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 we'd have riots and protests all over the place
2: exactly brilliantly said thank you so much just (laughs) loved it i'll pass you to hartman
4: Doctor Paleski, is a real pleasure to have you again, and um, 100% agree. I can agree what you said, and I also um, have also this kind of emotional journey, like you you mentioned here. I think all of us we have this, and um, I we all have our thoughts about these things, and we all uh, make our research, and. Um, what I found out is because we have here in Germany a very brave um actress who is fighting for the truth who is fighting who is fighting for the truth. And she made um she made a very good inter she made a very interesting video where she explained the history of vaccination. And the history of vaccination is that it is was only the whole time a selection process it was it was established in china it was established in uh, in india and the osmanic slave dealers they um they made a scarf on the skin of the slaves in order to put um smallpox serum in this in the wound in the in the, on the on the on the skin so that the people uh get um ill uh they got uh, deformed faces they can't hear they they became blind many of them died but the people who survived and had only deformed faces they were known as very strong men and were sold for a higher price and napoleon um who got knowledge about that he was the first one who made a forced vaccination he in, uh, and he the first things what you the first thing what he wanted to uh, vaccinate were the children and the hospitals and then the soldiers because the people who survived this kind of vaccination were stronger and were be- were better soldiers and he was looking for strong people so from 100 people who got the vaccination, uh, Twenty died, and so the people and so everyone can say, "Well, uh, we we so we we saved the, we saved the, the the country by doing the vaccination because now all ill and sick people were killed." And and uh, Mister Edward, uh, who had, was the inventor of the vaccination of the smallpox vaccination, he made a scarf on the other of the cows, so that. And put the serum in uh, on the other so this was the first uh, vaccine milk and so the whole industry started and it is only the target of vaccination was never the health issue of the people it was only a selection process and with the respect to um, the psychological aspect and uh, the non-touching torture aspect, what we are facing today, uh, it is so interesting that the people, like you said, all the mo- most people are, um, are victims of the Stockholm syndrome. These are the people who have masks in their car when they drive alone. Yeah? And, and uh, these people are so, let's say, brainwashed that they don't have the feeling for the truth anymore. And, and um, I had an interesting conversation with a professor for mathematics, so this is why, why I'm talking all this. And he told me, a, a healthy society has three foundations. It is economics, it's politics and it's ideology. And if you don't have an ideology, ideology it doesn't mean uh, Christian or Muslims, it means to have a inner feeling for what is right and what is wrong. This is the ideology. So you have many, many people who take the vaccination, now it's very difficult maybe to say, but who have may lost the inner feeling for what is right and what is wrong. <laughs> and so, the people who resist will be the people for the future, in order to establish a new society. And so, again, the vaccination could be a selection process. Otherwise, I have no yeah. idea what it means. What do it, you think about
1: it? It's that? interesting, Harvard, because, because there's actually literature uh, coming out of the World Economic Forum where they forecast uh, populations all over the world in different countries. And so uh, I think I saw in 2013, China had 1.4 billion, and they expect in 2025, China will have 1.4 billion. And the United States has 313 million in 2013, and they forecast 69 million people in the United States in 2025. And so you go through different countries around the world and this is their this is their material and so you have to say to yourself well, what are they forecasting here yes. like how is it that they're saying that china won't reduce that much and they said the same thing for russia russia won't reduce that much but england will and united states will and canada will and australia will you, you knowing that some or many of the people behind this movement are eugenicists. So you have to wonder, you know, uh, here's your curiosity again. Uh, what What is the true agenda of this thing? But there's something yes. you said that I'd like to divert the conversation to. Number one, you cannot get health in a needle. There's no, no. health in a needle. And I don't want to hear, well, what if it's vitamin B12 and what if it's vitamin C? That's not what I'm talking about. You cannot get health by being injected with these needles. That's number one. Number two, one of the other concepts that is dying, and this is why there's such a push, is that you don't have a germ in your body that's going to kill you. Unless you're sick with it or someone who is sick gives it to you. In other words, you can't possibly have a germ that makes you sick in your body if you have no symptoms. And those concepts are dying because if we look at the microbiome and if we look at microbiology, virology, bacteriology, parasitology, we realize that we are exposed to germs that could kill us every millisecond of our lives. And we're not sick from them. So exposure to germs is insufficient to cause illness. And so this idea that you're going to bring a piece of an organism or a live attenuated organism into the body and prime the body's immune system to recognize it so that in the event you do see it someday, only when someone is sick, gives it to you, this is all going to die because the idea that you don't already have the germ in your body is false. And the idea that the only way to have that germ in your body is to get exposed to someone who's sick from it is false. And that the only way to get the germ in your body is transmission from another person is false. And the fact that you're exposed to a germ which automatically makes you sick, false. Exposure is insufficient to make you sick. And in fact, giving you an introduction of a piece of the organism, along with the other toxic soup that's in the injection, or giving an attenuated form of that germ, thinking that you're going to be primed at some point to be protected when the germ eventually comes your way, is only a huge setup for autoimmunity. Because your immune system's response to what you've been injected with is going to give your immune system a chance to attack anything in your body that is similar to or the same as the structure of what you're injecting into the body in the first place. And so all of these concepts are dying. Yes. And this idea that the only way to be protected from a germ is to have immunity from a needle or immunity from a homeopathic no which is also a big problem is false yeah. and we are we are in the end game of the the myths and the lies and the untruths and the agendas of those concepts now how long it's going to take for people to understand that the baby in utero has very few bacteria but then we become humans who have hundreds of trillions of bacteria and even hundreds of trillions more of viruses and that the only way to get inhabited by those organisms is to breathe, eat, and live, we will realize that we can be and we are exposed to almost all of our organisms without needing other people around to expose us. And yes. this is at the core of the fight. This is at the core. There are the forces who are trying to hold on to this concept that you only live by the needle for health, versus you don't need the needle for health. You actually have health and need to understand what to do so that you don't lose your health. And that's the crossroads. That's one of the big battles that we're seeing. And so when you brought up the whole history of smallpox, this idea that you couldn't possibly have smallpox in your body, or you couldn't possibly have any organism in your body, unless somebody gives it to you. yeah, that's dying. And I can't wait to watch it. I think I'll still be alive when some of that does. But it doesn't matter whether I'm alive to see it. It's going to happen. It's happening anyway.
4: And um, I found also a very interesting study from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology in Cambridge, USA, uh, where uh, they confirmed that with ultrasonic waves, they can harm the coronavirus and maybe can delete the spike protein uh, by vibrations in, in part of seconds. Have you ever heard about that? Do you, do you know anything about that? Well, number
1: one, the disease of COVID-19 does not happen because of a coronavirus. Of course. It does happen because of, we think, and I'm going to put a caveat to that, because I think there's a lot more going on that creates COVID-19 other than a spike protein. But what we're told is that it's a spike protein,
4: Mm -hmm.
1: but if we're just going down the rabbit hole of focusing on spike protein, we're missing a lot of the toxic soup that is creating the illness and the symptoms we're missing radiation. We're missing electromagnetic forces. We're missing poisons in the air and the food and the water. We're missing other organisms that are being made for us to be exposed to. We're missing the whole possibility of other things that could be creating the illnesses that we're seeing. And as we start to unfold what is in these injections and as laboratories around the world are getting their hands on these injections, and notating what, in God's name, is in these injections. The visuals are frightening. The list of chemical natures of these ingredients is frightening. And the effects of these chemicals are also frightening. Not to mention, the interesting thing that 5G was implemented at the same time that these injections were pushed on society. And so there was a study that came out showing the effects of 5G on SARS-CoV-2. And what it said was that the 5G weakened the immunity of the host, meaning humans, and increased the virulence of whatever SARS-CoV-2 is. And that study was then retracted. As you can imagine, when you get too close to the truth, as many of our colleagues and lawyers and scientists around the world have done, things are retracted or people are censored because the one narrative is the only thing allowed. And I don't know about you guys, but I remember a time when we had debates, when we had discussions, when we had dialogue, and we introduced not only opposing views, but multiple views. And now we can't even do anything of the
0: sort.
4: Yeah, uh, I, want to, um, I want to add that in, the, in Spain, the left socialist government of the Balear- balearics has um, made a new law, uh, where in, in health crisis uh, they can uh, they can order forced vaccination, forced test, forced treatment, and forced quarantine. Correct. It's unbelievable.
1: Well, it's believable because the public allows it. And remember, whenever in history there's been an outbreak of a set of symptoms. We have only allowed the dialogue to say it's an infection. We have removed the role that environment and environmental toxins, nutritional deficiencies, um, other air exposures, energetic exposures, could all do in the development of the symptoms that we see. And the paradigm that has controlled that dialogue is dying. Because the idea that every time a community gets sick, it can only be due to an organism, that paradigm is dying. Because the truth about the history of outbreaks is becoming more and more well-known that toxins, chemicals, pesticides, metals, electromagnetic radiation, shock waves, you name it. Nutritional deficiencies have all now been shown to be very much responsible for outbreaks. And it's not the organism itself, but it's the organism's response to the conditions that are creating the problem. And if you address the conditions, the organisms stop expressing. Yeah, that's where we're headed. We're headed to that new paradigm, and that's why we're getting this fight
4: because it's not gonna stop. No, it's not gonna stop. They work. uh, They are. Let's say it this way: they are psychopath. There is no emotional connection to the people, and it's like it's like a machine.
1: But but that's that's okay because regardless of who lives and who dies, the paradigm is dying. And a new paradigm is coming to light. And again, I can't tell you how and I can't tell you when, but I can tell you it's happening. It's going to happen. It will happen. And this is what happens, you know, when the powers that be realize that their stronghold is being weakened. So we'll see. We'll see how this all turns out.
4: Thank you so much, Dr. Paleski. It was thank a real pleasure talking to you again. I I pass to Carl. Thank you. Okay. Hello there, doctor. Hi, Carl.
3: How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. Thanks. Yeah, I, this is great, the conversation. I agree with exactly what you're saying. Um, I You know, I, I've been saying to my fellow podcasters here that um, we know what's going on. It, it's pretty dismal. Uh we know it's a spiritual battle it really really comes down to that and even as you were talking about children being vaccinated it's what are children children are the closer to the expression of god their innocence and it's almost like they're saying the children are dirty and filthy and this goes back it, and it only came to me it's like this is the original sin we're, we're you know, and, and, and I actually don't believe that, but it's this taint that must be dealt with. Um, everything else you're saying as regards, uh, you know, it's not just it's not just a germ, it's electromagnetic radiation, it's nutritional deficiency, it's, it's stress, it's anxiety, it's the work. These are all environmental because we are no longer in harmony with our environment. If we're in harmony with our environment, then we have health. I think the two come in hand in hand, not necessarily immediately. I, I always remember, you know, like watching these documentaries and, um, you go into the depths of Borneo and you see these people who have hardly ever seen civilization or, or I say white man, because they represent that. Um, and these people are living practically naked in an area where there's insects of all sorts snakes and nasty things that will come and get them and poisonous plants Uh, but the mosquitoes in particular they're not going around they're in harmony but if you look at the miners camp downstream they've come in uh, no regard for the environment they're out of place and you get they're plagued by swarms of things they have to shoot things to defend themselves. They're out of harmony. So that's like a representation on a macro scale of health and disease. So we've lost the ability to trust in the environment, to trust in ourselves. And a key thing you said was is that uh, we don't need to trust in an outside authority. And I think we all agree that it's we get the truth when we look inside, and I mean by that, is learn how to read the heart, which is connected to everything. And then we start to get that intuition, are uh, that we can at least suspect when things are not going right. And as Hartmut's saying, it seems that people, whatever psychological manipulation that's been going on in society with this, is that they are no longer able to reference themselves we are not able to access this. You call it access the Godhead, if you wish. Right. So, um, yeah. Uh, it, well, it's, it's just more. that's the design. That's the design. And so this immediately brings it back to this, you know, you have references throughout the Bible and ancient scriptures that this is an ongoing battle. And I always come across to the point where, you know, God created both good and evil. So evil serves a purpose. This serves a purpose. What if it is to serve its purpose? It's for us to wake up and realize truly who we are. And that health is our inheritance. And it's to wake up. and, But they keep on pushing more and more uh, until it becomes totally illogical. I walked into a store the other day, and children don't have to wear masks here in a store. And I'm going, well, that's good. But then, why do they want to vaccinate them? There's this dichotomy that people don't see. They keep shifting things, so to me, it becomes very obvious that it's a, um, it's a, it's a spiritual battle. Sure. So, so for you, take, my question to you, I suppose, is, when did you have your Damascus moment, or, or, when did you, when did the light bulb go on, or was it always there and it did the volume turned up on you?
1: That's a, that's a great question. I wasn't expecting that question from all of what you said, but yeah, I don't that, <laughs> no, no, I'm glad to uh, speak to that. Um, so I get that question asked a lot, and you know, if I really, if I really look at it holographically, I agreed to do this when I came in, and as I grew as a child into an adult more and more was revealed to me about what i agreed to do so that's on the spiritual level right? so
3: so I ask you when you made this agreement in in what capacity was that was that like in uh uh, uh can you explain explain more uh, it, it
1: was in the spirit world before yeah. i decided to incarnate
3: yeah okay
1: right? um and believe me, I have a lot to say when I go back to the spirit world about what I was idiotically agreeing to. But that's another, that's my human form saying that, not my spirit. Um, so w- what I can say from that holographic perspective is that I guess I agreed, not I guess, uh, I'm i am of the belief that I agreed to this path. Um and, and the reason I say that is because I never wanted to be a doctor. You heard Grace talk about my my previous theater, and, and I really wanted to go into theater. But, but something inside said, no, nope, don't do it. Even though I wanted to do it, something inside said, no. Nope. I originally wanted to go to law school, and something inside said, nope, don't do it. And when I told my parents that I want to be a doctor, they looked at me and said, what? Because I never spoke about being a doctor as a kid, never. And they were pretty shocked. And so my process of becoming a doctor was when my sophomore, my sophomore year in college, my advisor said, well, what are you gonna major in? I said, I don't know. He said, well, what are you going to do after you graduate uh, college? I said, uh, I don't know. What are my options? That was what I said. What are my options? And he went through the litany of options. And I said, well, I was going to do law school. I was going to do drama. You know, medicine, I guess. I said, well, this is what I said to him, Carl. I said, I guess I can do more law in medicine than I can do medicine in law. Now, I I don't know where that came from. And so I said, well, I'm good in science. I'm good with people. I'll go to medical school. And that's the way it was. And so then proceed into third year of medical school. And I did all my rotations and my favorite was pediatrics, but in my medical school, The mantra was, you don't go to NYU School of Medicine if you're going to go into pediatrics. You go to NYU School of Medicine if you're going to go into medicine and surgery, because that's the big boys club. And so I felt all this internal strife, like, wait a second, I want to go into peds. And so I had an aha moment. If I'm an internal medicine doc, and I have a 55-year-old man who's 300 pounds, who smokes three packs of cigarettes a day what am I going to do for that person who's not wanting to change? I don't feel like upping the medicine, adding the medicine, removing a medicine. That doesn't feel like medicine to me. I said, at least with kids, I can have more of an impact. Now, at the time, I had no idea what I was saying other than the aha moment. But looking back, I was like, wow, it was there, but I didn't know it. And so I went out into the world after my training and I was an ER physician for pediatrics. I ran a pediatric intensive care unit. I covered a neonatal intensive care unit. I went to high risk deliveries. I covered the inpatient pediatric ward. I taught medical students and residents. I went, had a clinic. I covered a private practice on weekends and just, observing what was going on, I said, wait a second, that doesn't make sense. Well, wait, how do I figure that out? So I was just a curious guy. And I wasn't okay with just whatever somebody told me. And then in 1998, when a mother came up to me and said, this is 15 years after I started medical school. She said, Dr. Larry, did you know there's mercury in vaccines? I said, what? What else is in there? Instead of saying to her, ah, don't worry about it; it's nothing," like ninety-nine point nine percent of the physicians do, I said, "What? What? What else is in there?" And wanted to know more. And so it uncovered thinking. And and you know, when I when I started in early on in the like five or six years before that aha moment with the vaccines. I was wanting to understand how I could help kids in the emergency room who were always sick and coming back with the same illnesses. All I knew to do was give them the same medications, the same over-the-counter medicine. But I had no way of understanding, how do I help them not get sick anymore? And When I look back at my four years of training and then four years of medical school, I said, I'm not equipped. And so I started talking to acupuncturists. I started talking to chiropractors. I started learning this concept, the innate capacity to heal is what the body has. And I said, what? what the hell is that, right? Nothing in Western medicine brought that on. And so I started asking questions like, what do you do in Chinese medicine? How does it work? How do you figure it out? How does homeopathy work? How does natu- What's naturopathy? What's osteopathy what's herbal what's herbs I don't I started asking questions and I started realizing that I could find all these answers to what were the roots of children's illnesses in non-western medicine modalities and so I just kept thinking I just I was just curious but what I left out was that in 1991, which is when I finished my my training, I saw a pediatrician who trained me in medical school six years before. I'm sorry, that was 1995. In 1991, the New York state put out this decree, all newborns should get the hepatitis B vaccine. Mm -hmm. And I said, wait a second, every vaccine we've had has been for the purpose of protecting against a disease that affects a specific population. Why are we giving this to newborns? And uh, there were echoes. (laughs) Nobody, there were crickets and echoes. And and again, I had no understanding of the problem with vaccines. I was just being scientific. And then in 1995, I ran into a pediatric colleague and said to him, Mike, he had taught me 10 years before in, in, in medical school. I said, Mike, are you giving the hepatitis B to your infants in your practice? And he said, yeah, why not? I said, and then I went through it. Mike, babies don't get hepatitis B. They're not dying from hepatitis B. They're not having sex. They're not using needles. They're not exchanging blood products. Why are we giving this to babies? We don't even know if it'll protect them years later. And his answer, I have to. Mm -hmm. And I said, whoa, what are we up against? Mm And so there was no one specific aha moment. There were just a series of openings that I didn't know were openings until the crack opened because it all was a confluence of cracking. And and I would say that probably 1998, 1999, when I realized that Western medicine was not interested in changing the intralipid solutions for the neonates, who were getting only omega-6 fats and not giving them omega-3 fats, which would then help their lungs get better and their immune systems get better. And that I was finding all this literature about the MMR and all these vaccine ingredients and Western medicine wasn't interested. And that I, if I took partially hydrogenated oils out of the diets of kids with asthma, and lowered their sugar content, and maybe even removed dairy from their diets. They'd no longer have wheezing. Western medicine wasn't interested in that. And so what I, saw, what I saw was a crack in the earth. And I had one foot in the old, and one foot in this very unknown new. And I decided that I needed to go to the unknown new. Because I didn't know what it would bring me but I never, ever, ever expected to be here, standing, talking to people like you about these subjects. So that's why I say, holographically, this was predetermined, but it wasn't my ego will to do this.
3: Yeah, it's it's your bigger, connected, deeper self that transcends space and time. Uh, this is the way I see it, and I identify with a lot of what you say. And and I, you know, recently I've been thinking there's a lot of intelligent people out there, but they don't have awareness or the ability to ask very simple questions, like you have on your path to uncover so much. And and it's a progression. Why ask the simplest question? As a scientist, you know, I might have built a sophisticated equipment, and it may not work. But I'd also have to ask the very simple question: Did I plug it in? Right. You know, you know, you you know, and not assume that that was a trivial matter. Right. And so it's always going back to to basic things. And when you do that, you go, "What am I doing? What? Why? You know, hang on, simplify, go back to right. the root cause." Right. So my my last question, I suppose, is uh, um, a statement and a question for you to reply to. It is. Um, In Western culture and Western medicine, we really don't have a good definition of health. It's a definition, it is the absence of illness. And I think that is a big problem because it doesn't allow us to aim for anything. So I would think that health, and I would like you to comment on this, is, is the ability to engage everything around us, in our full capacity and that could extend to the ends of the universe right um so maybe you would like to oh, share well, your definition sure of what health is. i mean
1: i don't have a predetermined definition so yeah, i'm just gonna speak, i'm just gonna speak as it comes to me now um health is a, a dynamic process it's not static and it's a it's not a linear process it's it's spiral it's diagonal, it's vertical, it's horizontal, it's backward, it's forward. It's all dimensions. And health, health is a state of the being, the state of the body in relation to itself, in relation to others, in relation to the environment, and in relation to the higher power. And so when you look at somebody's health, you're looking at – their body, what they put into it, meaning what they absorb in their nervous system, what they allow into their nervous system, what they allow into their airway. What they allow into their mouth, what they allow onto their skin and what they allow into their injection. And then mind, what they allow into their thought process. What they allow into their consciousness what they're willing to incorporate from their subconscious, which is the unknown, the darkness, the curiosity, the uncertainty, the revelations of sorts, and then what they allow into their emotional body and how they handle emotional bodies and emotions.
3: And A man's checked, it, 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 it's almost like when you say dynamic and all this, it's the ability, health is the ability of the body to adapt harmoniously to anything it wishes to engage with. Right. So, so here's the, here's the spirit
1: side of health. It's its willingness to be conscious ah. of the mind and the body.
3: Right. Yeah. So,
1: so. I know that my health is different today and better than it was 10 years ago. Even though I'm 10 years older. Because I allowed consciousness to become a greater part of my health than I ever did. And so to me, health is that dynamic process of trial and error, of living and failing, of realizations and toiling and becoming uh, uh, more and more conscious of what is ultimately in your highest interest. And the thing is, is that if you're not feeling well if you have symptoms, that is a sign of hell. The body's expression of symptoms is merely an attempt of the physical body to say, are you listening? We need some attention because something is off in your mind, body, or spirit level that needs tending to. And sometimes that tending is in the subconscious realms. Sometimes it's in the very younger ages of either trauma, neglect, or uh, uh, abuse that needs actualization, that needs realization, that needs integration so that your life is led not by your responses to your early childhood of trauma and rape and incest and abuse and violation, but that your life is led by consciousness and healing so that you walk into the world not responding as if you're still that traumatized, younger, neglected, violated, raped child. Because there isn't a child in the earth who hasn't experienced some level of some trauma, whether it's in this life or existential. And so health is really, that's why I said, ultimately it's about consciousness. It's about being able to integrate the, the material in the subconscious world and understand that the body speaks and it's not bad or good, right? So I want to take morality out of the equation of health. It's a continuum of levels of consciousness. And so one of the things that I learned along the way is that if someone says, oh, I didn't know that food is hurting me, that's an area for growth. But if someone says, I know that food hurts me, but I eat it anyway, that's trouble, right? Because that's a knowing self-injury Yeah, that needs a lot more work because there's a lot more pain underneath it that needs to be worked on to bring it to consciousness so that the adult can make choices that are in the best interest of the whole, not making choices that are in the best interest of the lower self that is hurting. And it's a dance. It's a constant dance.
3: I, 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 really, I really like that because um, as you were defining what health is, um, you automatically defined what disease was. Disease. But, disease, yeah, disease or illness, because it was the way of the body. I'm uh, telling you something, knocking on the spirit, like you say, and and that and that I think is important. Once we try, even if we can't, even if we try to define what health is, we st- everything seems to fall right. into place rather than just defining disease. And, and what's uh, interesting
1: about that is that ten years ago, if you asked me that question. There's no way I would have given you this answer.
3: Yeah, so you're healthier.
1: Today, I give you this answer, and I guarantee you, in 10 years, if you ask me again, I'll give you a different answer.
3: Yeah. Well, okay. I'll see if you can top the one you gave already. (laughs) Um, Thank you you very much, doctor. I'm going to pass you on to Steve here.
5: Okay. Thank you, sir. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you, guys. Dr. P. How are you, Steve?
4: Uh,
5: I'm good. I grew up. 20 minutes away from Northport, and I have uh, friends who swear by you. So Ooh. they they won't. I won't mention their name, but they say hello. Hi. So, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's nice to talk about the end of the germ theory. Um, and while because the sort of the spiritual conversation that you guys just had, I listened to this guy Rudolf Steiner, who's dead. He's long dead. But he there's a guy who. Um, speaks of his books and in 1910 he talked about people getting the flu from a sympathetic coordinated resonance of um you know the the sick person passing it to people in the same room not because of a germ because of a coordinated sympathetic resonance and i found that fascinating that he said that in 1910 and there's a lot of stuff going on about contagion and and stuff but You know, in some ways I'm sort of getting to the shedding thing because I guess we could talk about how cow contagion works, but that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. But the, you know, I saw a recent podcast where you were talking about the synthetic spike protein and that it's not a piece of SARS-CoV-2 and that, um, you know, the people who have the injection, we don't know, but it looks like something could be an aerosol from your breath and, you know, I don't, I think that was like in April, you said that, but from April till now, is there any more information on, on what exactly is happening with people who are not injected being around people who are injected?
1: Wow. You, you gave me a lot, Steve. Um, let me just say, let me just say something about the bioresonance, uh, and then I'll go to the transition. Um, When I started talking about the terrain theory or just not focusing on the germ theory, I I realized I had to come up with an answer as to how two people could get sick at the same time or how they could get sick synchronistically, maybe a day or two or three apart. And it occurred to me that we have examples of bioresonance all over our lives. And the strongest example that I know of is women who live in a dorm or work in an office or live in a house together, where after a period of time, a certain percentage of the women start menstruating at the same time. Now, when I talk about this, uh, Oscar Wilde once said, if you're going to tell someone the truth, you better use humor. Otherwise, they'll kill you. So I had to use humor. And I said to the women in the room, did you catch your periods from each other? And they'd all laugh like, ha ha ha. ha." Right? Because under the contagion theory, they were passing a period from one to the next. Right? And if you're going to assume that a period isn't coming out of their bodies causing a series of similar or same expressions of body function, then you have to consider something else is going on. And so they all laughed when I said that. And I said, actually, you are catching your periods from each other. And so there's like this, like, what? And I said, do you understand that we're all electrical beings? And do you understand that we're all putting out a field around us? And there are waves coming out of our heart, coming out of our head, coming out of our arms, coming out of our legs. And those waves meet other people's waves. I said, did you ever walk into a room and all of a sudden see people you would not go near to talk to? and then other people you would definitely want to get to know. Well, what do you think that is? You're synchronizing wavelengths. Now, it may turn out that they're asynchronous, but your initial impression is synchronous. What happens when you go onto a bus and there are three double seats, three double seats, and there's one person in each seat. When you get on the bus, you see it and you automatically know where you're not going to sit and where you are going to sit. That's a synchrony and an asynchrony that's based on a biomagnetic field. Resonance or this, you know, it, lack of resonance. What's the opposite of resonance?
5: Disresonance.
1: Disresonance, yeah, thank you. Uh, for <laughs> some reason. I was asynchronous at that. All right. So I said, did you ever get to a point where someone yawns and all of a sudden you start yawning? Or someone yawns, you don't yawn. So they could see that something else is going on in the field. And so we forget that microorganisms are also in a biomagnetic field. And that physiological structures in our body and physiological patterns and functions are happening in our body all the time. And so part of that resonance is happening on the DNA level, on the mitochondrial level, on the microorganism level, on the enzyme level, on the hormonal level, on the nervous system level. So we fail to understand the bigger picture of just the microorganism and the possibility that when we're around each other, we may synchronize biorhythms such that our physiology expresses similar or same
5: simple
0: it's huge
1: okay so that's my idea on how outbreaks could occur i like it that it's not necessarily an organism that's being passed but that it's actually something bigger and more exciting and more profound because we all know in stories of couples One person in the relationship gets a cold. The other person never gets it. So exposure is not enough. And so when you bring that up, someone will say, well, they just fought it off. Uh, How do you know? Right? Just because they don't express it doesn't mean they fought anything. Yep. Right? And so we're, we're talking about other layers of thinking here, which I have to bring in. Okay, now, there is no knowledge about what is in these shots. There's conjecture. There's underground research. And there's expectation that it's safe. And that hashtag they would never do anything to harm us. Right. And so we don't know, but I can tell you from my personal experience what has happened. Right. On April 15th of this year, I shook the hand of a friend I hadn't seen in over a year. While we were talking, he told me that he had gotten the shot. It just gotten the Pfizer shot. I thought nothing of it. I went swimming, did my thing. That Tuesday afterwards, April 20th, I had my regular acupuncture appointment, and the pr- practitioner who's known me for 20 years put her hands on my pulses and said, something's wrong. Uh, what are you talking about? She said, your pulses are extremely tense. I said, what does that mean? She said, something's going on in your body. I don't know what it is. I said, well, am I having a heart attack? Am I having a stroke? What's going on? Mind you, I had no symptoms. I was just there for routine weekly treatment. She said, your pulses are very tense this usually indicates some degree of infection. I said, but I have no symptoms. She treated me, the pulses relaxed a little bit and I went about my way. That Friday, April 23rd, I got hit like a Mack truck, hit me. Fever, fatigue, body aches. I even had a dinner that night where I literally had to get up from the table and go sit on the couch because I couldn't sit up straight. That next day, the 24th and 25th, the weekend, I was home completely knocked out. I was weak. I was fatigued, body aches, and... Unbelievable, disgusting diarrhea. The worst foul smelling I had smelled in a long time. By the time I went to work on Monday the 26th, I had burping almost every 30 seconds to a minute. And it smelled just like the stool from below. And I was having heartburn that I had never, ever, ever experienced in my life. I thought I was going to burn up. It was that severe. Now, that Friday night, the 23rd, I was quick enough to start ivermectin. And I started five days of it and I did hyperbaric oxygen every day. By that Wednesday, the 28th, I was better. Fast forward to Tuesday, May 4th, I was sitting eating my lunch and the day before I was in the office and uh, I was exposed to people who I knew had had the shot, not knowing that they had had the shot. That Tuesday, May 4th, I get up from the table for lunch and I felt really weak and I had to go lie down. I was so tired. And when I tried to get up, I could not get up because I had vertigo. Everything was sea legs. Everything was like this, trying to walk. May 5th, I had to cancel my patients, And I had the world's worst ringing in my ear. I had no idea what was going on. That Saturday, the 8th, I went on vacation. I was by the beach. I did yoga on the water, on the, on the shoreline. And I, I was okay, but I felt still like a little sea legs. I came back to work on the 17th and I was better. I got more acupuncture, etc. One Saturday in early June, I was doing yoga And I knew that the yoga teacher was thinking about getting a shot. And that Saturday in June, he was adjusting me. And on the mat, I started to get vertigo again. To the point where I had to lie down almost the rest of the day because I couldn't walk. And so since that Saturday, I will not touch anybody who got the shot. And I will not allow anybody who got the shot to touch me. What is in this thing? Well, I'll tell you, as a residual of that April 15th handshake, I have had electrical charges through my body nonstop. Tingling, electrical circuitry. Uh, mostly from my pelvis down to my feet. And I've done a lot of attempts to try to treat it until I finally found out that there's a material in my body called technetium-99, which other practitioners have found in other people who were serving symptoms, who are having symptoms from exposure to the shock. And so I started to up my iodine intake tremendously. And so for the last four days, I have slowly begun to lessen the electrical charge in my body. Now you'll hear about spike protein, right? And then you'll hear everyone say, nothing is coming out of the shot, right? Well, has anybody actually done the studies to evaluate if something's coming out of the shot? No. Right? And then you hear the the group from Spain talking about graphene oxide. Has anybody in the medical system ever said, you know, we should really look into that? No. We know that there's mRNA in two of the three shots. Has anybody ever evaluated whether mRNA is being emitted in some small way from person to person? No. Now, I look up technetium-99, like, well, how could I have gotten it? Well, Brookhaven Laboratory has used technetium-99 as a medical tracer. And Brookhaven Labs is known to have participated in studies that do mind control. Now, I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I'm wrong, but if I follow the scientific method, the scientific method says, you know, there are other people getting vertigo who are exposed to those who've gotten the shot. I'm aware of it. And uh, when I first got vertigo on May 4th, I heard from other practitioners, oh, yeah, we're getting patients who are getting vertigo. And yeah, others were getting tinnitus. Horrible ringing in the ear. And there are people who are having electrical charge symptoms, heart, arrhythmias, seizures, and some of the things that I'm describing. So the scientific method says, huh, look at these observations, whether we like it or not, can we investigate whether there's any truth to this? even though it would really hurt us if this is true, because then we'd have to realize that maybe there's something more nefarious in these shots. Not to mention, Steve, how many women have had miscarriages who weren't given the shot, who are exposed to those who did have the shot? How many people are getting strokes exposed to the shot, but not getting the shot, heart attacks, not getting the shot, exposed to those who get the shot. Irregular menses, exposed to the shot, not get, not getting the shot. How many people are getting sick, cancer, exposed to the shot, but not getting the shot? And again, because the medical system, the media, the, the government, the legislators, the controllers, will not allow questioning of mere simple observations. We are lost to understand what is really going on. But I'll tell you that this is not a vaccine. It's not a vaccine. It's not a vaccine. I have colleagues who have looked at the microscope of the liquid that's in this thing, and there's stuff moving in there. There's organisms in there. There's metallic stuff in there. There's stuff in there. And the general public would say, oh, that's not true. You're making it up. That can't be. That's not possible. They would never do that. Why would they do that?
5: You're a conspiracy theorist. Hmm. I mean, that's, I don't know how much time you have, but... Um, I it doesn't bode well for us because uh, you know it, I don't know what the future is going to be. if One handshake could could be the result of that. Um, but while just you know maybe one last thing while we're on this thing of well, before of you what, say
1: that, Steve, I just want to tell you that yeah. April 15, I had had acupuncture right before it, and I was okay. I did not have the pulses that were evident on that Tuesday, April 20th. And now mm-hmm. that I've spoken to my acupuncturist, she has said all along, because I've continued treatment, that my pulses have often felt like I was poisoned. Mm-hmm. Like there was a there's a tension in there. And again, I know that there are people who are in the in the healing arts who are taking care of people who've gotten the shot who are saying their pulses are different. They're off. There's something wrong on a very deep level. Now, thankfully, I'm going again today, so I'll find out what the status is having had, you know, other treatments as well as the iodine. But, wow.
5: Wow. I take iodine every day. So um, it's a funny thing. I'll tell tell a little story about a handshake because it, it leads into where the last thing I want to say, um, I play sports out here and um, they're all they've all had the injection and, you know, you get a little sweaty and, uh, you know, I don't know. It ended up it ended up it, the, the day ended with a handshake of a couple of them. And I remember this is a, a kind of a tragic thought that I had to actually question. You know, I just shook their hand. Do I need to do something? Um, and it dawned on me and I, I got colloidal silver water. And I, I I put it on and it it's just sort of a, a sad little story, but where I'm going with this is Dr. Hoff, I saw a video where he, he talked about something called pulmonary artery hypertension, which sounds just diabolical uh, on top of all the other things. Um, and what it in short was, and I'm sure you know about it, the spike protein is so small and it's getting into the cl- capillaries and it's, it's clogging capillaries in the lungs and it's causing uh, a shortness of breath. And he said within three years, people will have a right right heart side, uh, a right side failure of their heart. Now, a couple of the guys I play with, they are complaining about uncharacteristic shortness of breath and not thinking too much about it. Like, Oh, t- just today mm-hmm. I can't even run this far. Okay.
1: So Remember, we're going based on what they tell us is in the shot that's affecting us. So we're naming it spike protein. But I don't know what it really is, if it's just spike protein, if there really is a spike protein, or whether there's and en- there are entities much greater than we know. Because I, I mean, I said this on a, on a podcast the other night. I don't want us to be distracted by the spike protein in such a way that we miss all the other possibilities that could be going on, not only in the shot, but environmentally, especially as it relates to the electromagnetic fields that are being pumped into our uh, communities. So this is what we think we know. And I'm going to say that very, very strongly. This is what we think we know. The spike protein, assuming it is that, is causing micro endothelial damage. And what that means in English is the spike protein is damaging the insides of the blood vessels. Not only that, but in people who got the shot, In addition to people who did not get the shot, those people who are looking at red blood cells are finding changes in the shape and size of our red blood cells. That in and of itself will change your ability to carry oxygen, which could explain their inability to breathe. And if they're having what's called microendothelial damage, they're also at the risk for microthrombi, which are clots, which is what we saw in the initial stages of the COVID illness init- you know, be- to begin with, which were these clotting diseases, these clotting conditions that are not related to a coronavirus in any way, shape, or form. But we swallowed it without a gag reflex. And so that's the problem. Well, it's one of the problems. And so what they could be experiencing is changes in the shapes of the red blood cells and oxygen binding. And microthrombi or clots that are occurring uh, because of the damaging damages done to the endothelial walls. Wow. And right. you don't have to be symptomatic for it to be occurring. So you see all these people, which is classic. I wish Dr. Jane were here. I know she had to step out. Um, You know, people say, well, I got it and I'm fine, which is a classic uh, ignorant statement because we have this idea that if you get it and nothing obviously happens, nothing happened. That's such a disconnect. Because there's this idea that nothing could happen or nothing will happen or whew, you're in the clear. And, you know, it's almost willful ignorance because you don't want to believe that anything will happen to you or that you did anything to yourself that could have harmed you. But the bottom line is just because nothing happened
5: doesn't mean nothing happened. Yeah. Well, it's also. <laughs> You, you know, you have to be defiant, like, see, nothing happened. Like, you know, and it. but like you said, just because nothing happened, nothing happened. I mean, um, there's a, a case where a, a vaccinated person died and they blamed it on an un, uninjected. And sure. um, I, I was saying, well, if you have the injection, how could, you know, why, how could someone who, you know, has it, who, who hasn't hurt you, but we all know why, because it doesn't stop transmission. Vaccines are safe. Vaccine injury is real.
1: Unvaccinated people are the only ones responsible for an outbreak because somehow once you're vaccinated, you no longer can carry or transmit the germ. Only those who are unvaccinated carry and transmit the germ. Yep. All three lies.
5: Lies, yep. lies. The mantras. Yep, the brainwashing. So Just one thing I'll say before I pass you to Grace is um, Dr. Barry Chouwer, Uh, A UK microwave specialist who's very elderly now, but in the 80s, he was talking about how uh, microwaves or electromagnetic frequencies, um, that viruses just thrive from them. And this is in the 1980s. Uh, And he's still alive. But, you know, because you mentioned that and we all know we all know disease comes from a lack of nutrition, poisoning, toxicity and EMF and stress and all that. uh, You know, you should look him up if you don't know about him.
1: So, So let me make a comment to that. Because as part of the new paradigm, some of what you said may need to shift. Electromagnetic radiation or microwaves cause a stress in the body. They cause inflammation in the body. They cause a buildup of waste and toxicity. The expression of viruses is in response to the stress. It's in response to the toxicity. It's in response to the inflammation in an attempt to clear the body of the wastes, toxins, and inflammation. So it's not the microwaves triggering the viruses. The viruses are the compensatory mechanism. They are the appropriate response to the inappropriate conditions. And that's the truth with cholesterol. That's the truth with Viruses and many bacteria, that's the truth to the development of symptoms in general. Symptoms are an appropriate response to the development of inappropriate conditions that the body can no longer sustain in its existence. And so we will shift this paradigm eventually. It's gonna take a while. We're gonna have to lose a lot of virologists and a lot of scientists in the process because they bought into a system that's just untrue, that it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So but thank you for the opportunity to clarify that.
5: Oh, uh, that's great. Thank you for, the, now I get it. Uh, yeah, so I'll pass you to Grace and really thank you for your time. Sure, thanks guys.
0: Thank you so much. This is one powerful conversation. It would even be more powerful if the viewers can share it and also whatever will you learn from this do the action, or do what you need to do. Um, Will that be the call to action, Dr. Palevsky? Is the shift of paradigm thinking, or do you have any more call to action?
1: My call to action today, because it changes, is that we demand the authorities allow for a public discussion of the different sides of the subject. It is the responsibility of the public to push the narrative and not wait for others to do it for you. The authorities are weak if we are strong. The authorities are strong if we are weak. If the government fears the people, we have freedom. If the people fear the government, we have tyranny. And so if we want change, don't look outside for people to do it for you. Please demand that the likes of those physicians, those scientists, those leaders who have another narrative, be given the same public stage as the one narrative that's being pushed. That's the call to action. Enough is enough. It is time for our voices to be heard and not to have the narrative shoved down our throats because we have a gag reflex and we are going to spit it out. And the only way it's gonna grow is if those of us who are interested in the dialogue, even if you don't have the answers, even if you don't know which side is right, even if you're not sure, you want us to give you a dialogue of both sides or of a third side or of a fourth side so that those who are pushing it down your throats are held accountable for information that we on the other side are recognizing is not true.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Palevsky, for everything that you do. Bless your family and all your off um, the office, the whole office, and for the audience. Thank you for your engaging conversation among each other, and please share this podcast enough is enough let our voices be heard and keep doing what you're doing that's best for you and save the children
4: thank you thank you thank you dr P. thank you so much it was a real pleasure
3: sir. thank you <laughs> yeah thank you nice to meet you